Christianity, friend, without the resurrection is not simply Christianity without its final chapter. It's not Christianity at all. You understand what I'm saying? Christianity, it's not like, oh, well, that's, that's a bummer. They forgot to include that bit. Uh, it's, it's, it's missing its final chapter, its little epilogue, its, its little appendix, whatever you want to say. No, no, Christianity, without the resurrection, you take the resurrection out, you delete it, you, know, you scratch it out, you copy and paste it somewhere else, whatever you want to, term you want to use, and you no longer have Christianity. I was actually thinking about this last Friday. If you were here at Good Friday, we were singing about Christ's death, and I was actually thinking about this last Sunday as well. We were talking about his resurrection through that Matt Boswell song, right? And, and, and there's a, a line in there that talks about Christ raising from the dead. Now think about this. Besides Jesus for a second, people don't rise from the dead. You, do, do you know anyone that has? Uh, I don't. And think about this. Every single one of you because this isn't just like, you know, I, I used to, before I was a Christian, I used to come to like Easter services. I used to be like, I don't get what the big fuss is. I don't get all the happy, clappy stuff. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. <sighs> Whatever. No relevance. But let me ask you this. Do you know anyone, anyone that has, say, been able to beat death? There, there's a book that I saw recently sitting at, on the counter of a, a shop here on, on the coast, and it said, How Not to Die. I'm like, good luck. Who would buy the book, right? I mean, the death rate for every human is still 100%. So, so, so do you know anybody that has ever conquered death? No. I mean, if they were to figure that, I mean, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, richest dudes, like they got more money than we can even imagine, they're still going to die. The guy who started Apple is dead. I mean, everyone's going, everyone in this room, every single person in this room is going to die. No matter how young you are, and the audience probably thinks, ah, oh, that's light years away, you are still going to breathe your last on this earth. So do you know anyone who's been able to sort of evade that, skip that, dodge that? I don't, except Christ. And he is the trailblazer, you see. He is the, proto, the perfect prototype that those who believe in Jesus will never die, will be raised like Jesus, raised again, raised to eternity. I'd say that's pretty relevant. And so as we look at Mark's gospel, and we think about, okay, why, why is this important, and why does this give hope? Well, well that's, what we, that's why we're looking at Mark's gospel. That's what we want to see, that, that this is not just a random like little add-on to Christianity, but this is the very core, this is the very substance, this is the very center piece of what it means to be, have hope, to, to believe in Christ, this trailblazer who, who goes and conquers death, who ushers in a, a new creation through his death and resurrection. That's why it's relevant. And so when you die, dear friend, and you will die, let that sink in for a second. I know I sound like a jerk. I know I'm making you feel bad. Now this sounds morbid. We're supposed to have flowers up here and sing and dance and sing sign Jesus shine or whatever. You, dear friend, listen. Listen, everyone, give me, give me your eyes. You're going to die. What are you going to do about it? 
What are you going to do about it? What hope do you have? That's why I want you to listen this morning. There can be hope for you. I don't say that to just bash you and make you feel bad. There, there is hope. But there's only hope in a living, reigning, resurrected Savior. So, that said, we're going to look at this account and realize how this, this account in Mark's gospel should stir in us a sense of awe and bewilderment and amazement, as it did for these ladies. As well as a sense, I would argue, and this is what I'm hoping, that's where I was driving that a second ago, hopefully, a healthy dose of fear, actually. So let's look to the pages of Scripture now. If you don't, Dan always does this, and I think this is really helpful. So you don't think that this is just our words, and we're not going to just spit up all the verses up here so you can say, oh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll reference a few of them up here so it's just quicker for you guys. But if you don't have a Bible... Um, and we'd want you to, we'd love for you to follow along. I mean, I know that I, if you, I said, give me your car keys or sign this, you'd be like, mm, mm-mm. So like, but I'm saying the most important thing in the universe right now. So you want to just not take my word for it. I want you to see it with your own eyes in the pages of scripture, okay? So there's no shame if you don't have your Bible. Look, um, we have some extra ones in the back. Or just if you're like, oh, I'm on a time of prayer, we'll buy our heads. You know, no one will be looking. You can, you can bust your phone out. You can Google Mark 16 ESV. You can pull it up. There's no shame in that. I mean, I'd rather have you do that than, you know, like, just pretend or sit there and just take my word for it, okay? Sound good? But let's, let's pray, and, and this is your opportunity now to sneak your phone out if, if, if you want to. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for uh, this, this amazing text, Lord. Uh, for those of us that are in Christ, we bank our entire lives on what's written here. Lord, our, we bank our entire eternal destiny on, on the validity of the Lord Jesus dying and rising again, that the tomb is empty. Lord, would you encourage us in those realities, and would you challenge those who, for whatever reason, Lord, maybe they stumbled in here, maybe they felt they'd give it a go, or, well, there's, there's so many different walks of life and people here. I, I don't, I, I can't even imagine, I, I'm not even going to pretend to, but Lord, You've created them, you know them, you know exactly the space that they're living in right now, so we pray as your word is preached that you'd meet them right there. And Lord, that you would save many for your glory's sake, in Christ's name, amen. It's Saturday. The sun has just set, and there's still an orange glow in the evening sky. As the shops reopen for the evening, it seems as beautiful as this sunset is, there's an emotional thickness in the air. Uh, typically, people are scurrying about and quite enthusiastic that the Sabbath is now done and the shops have reopened, but now there's a sense of gloominess. There's a sense of darkness. And through the slow-moving crowds, you spot three women, and there's something different about them. They're not just perusing the shops like everyone else. They seem very intent and very focused and yet at the same time rather disheveled. Their faces also are swollen and you can tell that they've been, that they've been crying their eyes out, that they've that they're just been sobbing through the night. Are they preparing? Are these ladies preparing for a funeral? Well, it, it must be. Because you notice them purchasing spices and perfumes. Uh, 
which was the custom back then. Uh, this is what folks used to do so they could alleviate the, the stench that would come from a rotting body. Just then, you overhear one of the ladies as you kind of lean in, say to one of her friends, oh, I, I think they should cover it. And they grab the perfumes and they grab the spices and just like that, they leave the shops. And the next morning, even though their hands are full and the sun has just risen, they're moving rather quickly. Now it's worth saying that these ladies aren't three random women. They were close followers of Jesus himself. They saw firsthand how the Lord could heal people with a touch, how he could change the weather with a word, how he taught with absolute authority. But all that seemed to come crashing down because they also saw firsthand this same guy who could stop the storm, who could heal people, who had love and compassion. They, thus, they saw this exact same guy bashed to bits. They watched the soldiers mock him, spit on him, shove a, a bunch of thorns, a crown on his head. They watched him stripped half naked, nailed to a cross, humiliated and strung up there for everyone to laugh at. They heard the screams. They observed the ridicule. And finally, they watched him die. Not a fake death, but die. And they followed close behind and watched from a distance his burial. They went to his funeral. They saw it with their own eyes. This was their leader. This was their master. This was their, this was their friend. And now, he's gone. So out of love and respect, they want to bid a finer, final farewell. They, they want to complete what was left undone. They want to do the right thing as you did back then and, and at least give him a proper burial. And they can't do that on Saturday because that is the Sabbath. And so now it's early Sunday and there they are, these three ladies racing off to the tomb of Jesus. Come with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So give us some context here. We're, we're told, when did this occur? This this happened when the Sabbath was over, and if you don't know, when was the Jewish Sabbath? It's on a Saturday. If you go there in Israel, it's still Saturday. It's pretty cool because you can feel like you can learn Hebrew or Yiddish at least, because they, they'll say Shabbat Shalom. And you know, if you've ever been to another country, you can learn one little phrase, and you think you know the language just because you have the one little phrase. You can interact with people. You can go up to like a rabbi and go, Shabbat Shalom. 
and Bokratov, which is good morning or whatever, and I, you know, then you can talk with them, and then, then you don't know anything else. But, but that's on Saturday. That's the point, right? That's, and Sabbath ended on Saturday for them, still does, at 6 p.m. So they don't go by, you know, to, to us it's midnight. For them, it's, it's when the sun goes down. Not everyone could pull out their smartphone and say, oh, we'll take, you know, it's when the sun goes down. Day's over. And at that point, what would happen? Well, the shops would reopen and allow these women to buy the spices. Now, but oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why would they do that? Why, why, would they, why would they buy these spices? Well, again, it's to alleviate the, the smell that would from a decomposing body, right? So, but here's the deal. Clearly, these women were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead, were they? Why would they bother spending the money and the time? Uh, they were on their way to anoint a dead body, a friend. And when they got there, they'd approach Jesus' lifeless body. They'd pour perfumes on his head and bid one final farewell to their friend. In their minds, look, they're not going to an Easter sunrise service with flowers. They're going to a graveyard. But hold on, hold on, hold on a tick. Aren't, didn't I just say these same women followed Jesus around? They, heard, they, they watched him heal people and hear him talk. And I mean, haven't, haven't these same exact three ladies been with Jesus several years? Yes. Well, then... Wouldn't they have heard him talk about dying and coming back to life? I mean, no doubt they would have heard him say stuff like this. Mark 8, 31, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Did, were they not listening on that point? Or, I mean, surely the disciples would have passed on important Information like this, also in Mark, where Jesus said this to the disciples, the Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. You see, from the beginning, Jesus made it clear, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. But I will rise. I will rise. I will rise. He often predicted his death, and in each instance, he identified a period of time, three days. You just saw that there, right? Three days in which he'd rise. This is made explicit in Mark's gospel. From chapter 8 to 10, you know, if you, if you just imagine if we could somehow, I know this might sound weird, but if we can somehow fly over chapter Mark 8, 9, and 10, and say, like, or if we could take a drone and fly a drone over those three chapters, 8, 9, and 10 we discover how Mark organizes things around Jesus' death and resurrection predictions. You just take a drone, you just see how there's these key moments where he says, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, keep flying that drone, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise. Mark 10.33, Mark 10, look what he says. See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will what? He will rise. Pretty clear. Would you agree? Die Friday afternoon, 
Rise Sunday sometime. So why are these ladies expecting to find a dead body then? Weren't they listening? I mean, did, did, they, not, did they not get the memo? No, predictions weren't the problem, you see? It was unbelief. It was their unbelief. Now, that said, I think it's all too easy for us to sit on the sidelines and go, well, if Jesus said that to me, I'd believe it. I wouldn't be coming there. No way. Not me. That's these ladies. That's not me. I think it's easy for us to sort of sit on the sidelines and fling mud at them, sort of feel smug about ourselves. But how often do we doubt God's promises? How often do we doubt what the Lord has made clear in His Word? We still struggle with unbelief, do we not? The famous Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, it was all too common in his day, and I'd argue it's all too common in our day for believers. Look what he says. He put it this way, this sin of sins, unbelief, is still at this very hour too common among the people of God. Suppose I talk to the mass of God's people, the quiet, humble people who go about their business and serve God in their households. Shall I find them all full of faith, giving glory to God? No, I'm not long with some of them, but I hear their doubts as to whether they are His or not. I hear some of them singing, Do I love the Lord or no? Am I His or am I not? True, I see many of them happy and joyful, contented and trustful, but not always so. Even they, sometimes even these seem to give way to fears and suspicions, and they half think that he has forgotten to be gracious, will be merciful of them no more. Isn't that true? Isn't that so true? Our minds are often preoccupied with what we can see and what makes sense to us. I mean, is it any wonder the disciples often prayed, Lord, increase our faith? You see, the fact that Jesus said he'd rise on the third day is not what concerns these gals. What occupies their minds is what they can physically observe and comprehend. They know where the tomb was, and they knew that the stone had been rolled away because they saw it on Friday. So the focus then is mainly on the practical matters, is it? Right? What they can taste, touch, see. And, and what they're mainly concerned about, sure, they made their burial preparations, they're all sorted on that, but they had forgotten about one large problem, one massive stone blocking their way. Look at verse 3. I mean, this is what they're focused on, this massive rock. Like, once we get there, what are we going to do? Who's going who's gonna to sort this out for us? It's just us three ladies. And, when, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And Mark notes, it was very large. So they're having this conversation. Uh, Mary, we know you've been doing Pilates. We know, you know, hey, Salome, you've been doing CrossFit. But I don't reckon the three of us ladies are actually going to be able to move the stone. So when we get there, and there's going to be a, like, are we going to fight off the Roman guards? Like, what's, what are we going to do when we get there? I don't know. Mary, come on. I don't know. And then they look up 
and you can imagine them just sort of being, as they're having this conversation, just stopped in their tracks. Because something totally unexpected has just happened. Someone else has rolled the stone away. And there's nobody around. Like, how odd. I mean, can you imagine the questions zipping through their minds at that moment? Why is no one here? Uh, it, who did this? What's going on? Now, you don't blame them either for kind of, after they've looked at each other and thought through these things, you know, the door is open, right? You're going to want to at least peek in there. <laughs> and that's what they do, right? You want to go check it out. And now things really begin to heat up in our story. As they make their way through the entrance of Jesus' tomb, there's somebody in there. I mean, there's someone in there, and it's not a corpse. It's not a dead body. It's a young bloke. And he knows exactly why they have come. And that's, that's just totally out of the ordinary. First, you didn't expect the stone to be rolled away, and then you show up, and you're like, I don't see his body anywhere. Ah! And there's this guy, young guy, it says. Interesting that Mark notes that he's young. In a white robe. And he's, I mean, was, was it? Okay, maybe this guy, maybe he, he's the first guy to get on the scene. And that's why he knows that Jesus isn't there. What do you reckon? Maybe, maybe he's just kind of, oh, I beat you, ladies. Ain't here. No, 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 that, I don't think so. Not because the message, I mean, look at the message that he, he gives to them. Well, first they're terrified, obviously. Like I said, none of this, this is totally out of the ordinary. They're paralyzed by fear. You would too, and so would I, by the way. This is scarier than Stranger Things and the Upside Down or anything like this. is just, this doesn't happen, right? And so in verse 5, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. So it's interesting here. I want to pause. Why do you suppose Mark describes him both by his age as well as what he's wearing? He's wearing what's he wearing? He's, he's wearing a white robe, right? Which back then people would wear white robes to a wedding or some festivity. Apparently, Though, this, this man, this young guy, his, his robe is so white, it's shining in the darkness of a burial chamber, which it's not like someone popped a strobe light on him. This is definitely not normal, and hence the reason they're alarmed. So he has this white shining robe, shining in the darkness. It kind of reminds you, maybe you've heard, I'm going to give away the story here, spoiler, you know, Jesus rose again, Okay. And, and then he, 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 as, he ascends to heaven, okay? And, and in the book of Acts, when he ascends to heaven, it's interesting because the disciples watch him go up and they're like, whoa. And they're just, can you picture that, kids? They're just like, that's what I'd be doing. Like, you know, sometimes you see a balloon sort of going, 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 you know? And it's like, and then two guys, two men in white robes stand, go, yoo-hoo. What are you guys doing looking up there? And they're angels. They say, 
Jesus told you he's coming back. He's going to come back the same way you've seen him leave. So, so get to work. Put your shoulder to it. The, the Holy Spirit's coming. And he's going to anoint you with power. And you're going to be able to preach this message about Christ dying and rising again to the whole world. But the point is this. Those two blokes that showed up, not just blokes, they're angels. They're messengers. And similarly, this guy that we see in the text, he has a white robe, which is shining in the chamber, and he has a message from God. And what is the message? This is the life. This is it. I mean, if you were turning up the volume, it's going as loud. This is where your eardrums are bursting, because right here, he says in verse 6, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Think about this. The emptiness of the tomb, so he goes, he's risen, look around. They laid him right here. He's not here anymore. But that in and of itself simply, I guess, probes raises the question, well, then where is his body, right? He's not here. So God sends this messenger to explain that he has risen. One word in the original. He has been raised, literally. He has risen. Listen, friend, the validity of the Christian faith hangs on this single declaration. He has risen. If that's not true, what are you all doing here? Maybe some of you are here because your friend dragged you along. But your, the friend, can I talk to you? What are you doing here? What am I saying up here? Every, the validity of all of this hangs on that right there. Look, the fact that Jesus died in the place of sinners is marvelous. But had he remained in the grave, his death would have had very little significance. Death's waves would have closed over him just as they do every other human life. And every claim he made would have sunk into nothingness, leaving us without hope and still guilty in our sin. But when breath entered his resurrected lungs again, when resurrection life electrified his body, everything Jesus claimed was fully finally and unquestionably vindicated. He has risen. You understand? The tomb was empty and the stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out. It's not like, you know, Jesus rises from the dead and then he's like, let me, let me, let me out of here. It's just, I, I mean, remember when he appears to his disciples, the door's closed, and they're all talking about it, and he goes, I don't, I don't know if he did that, but you know, he just, boom, he just, he appears. He, he doesn't need to have the stone rolled away so that he's like, oh, whew, it's getting hot in there, thank you. No, the stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let the witnesses in. He is risen. It's to prove the fact He's not here. I mean, goodness, friend. I mean, this is, this is, this is real. I, look, if, 
if there was a, the whole world wants to get rid of bad guys and get rid of cults and troublemaking things, right? That's just, that's just all, that still exists today. And so like if you're one of the religious leaders during this time, right? And you have mobile phones going off in the middle of your synagogue. That's just, no, no. But, um, you know, if, if, if you have, like, a troublemaker guy, that's this Jesus guy that said that he would die and rise again, and, and if you're the Jews, and you could actually go back to that tomb and simply roll the stone away, or go threaten with someone with a sword and say, show, if, if, if the disciples stole his body, and put a knife to their throat and say, tell me where you put his body. One of those guys is going to crack. Guaranteed. There'd be some sellout among them. They already had one sellout. There'd be someone, okay, okay, fine, fine. We hit him over here. And then what would they do? They'd take his body, I know this is gross, but here he is. Shut up, Christians. It's over. You're done. It's done and dusted. You're idiots. But they never, ever, ever, ever found the body of Jesus, and they never will. He has risen. He has risen. Now come back to Mark, because having assured these women that Jesus is alive, the angel commissions them to go and do something. He says, the angel says, go and, and tell the disciples and Peter. Remember Peter? Why, 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 why flag Peter there? What did Peter do? He didn't have a very good ending with Jesus, did he? Denied the bloke three times. And so he says, Peter, be reassured by this, I want to see him. Tell them to meet me in Galilee. Look at verse 7. But go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. It's <laughs> a bit abrupt, you think? Some of you are like, I, don't, I still see things. Well, look, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include the rest of the bit. That's, that's likely the end, right there, of Mark's gospel. It's a bit abrupt, but it ends at the same time, I, I would argue, a bit climatic, like, and there's a climax to it. The reality of the resurrection, what does it do with these ladies? It grips their souls with a sense of bewilderment, astonishment, and fear. They're stunned. They're gobsmacked. They can't fully process what's going on. And then Mark says, I'll end it there. Sort of open-endedly. Can you feel that? Why? Well, I think maybe, in a sense, he's passing the ball to you, kicking the ball over to you and saying, so what are you going to do with this? How are you going to respond? Dan talked about on Friday. You have Pilate, you have the crowds, you have the centurion. And Mark, same gospel here, I reckon kicks the ball over to you and says, now what are you going to do with this? How are you going to respond to the resurrection? It happened. Can't argue with that. So what are you going to do? You ever get those little, we don't do this as much anymore because of emails now, but you get someone's wedding invitation in the mail and it says RSVP, right? Do you remember those? Now they're probably all digital or, you know, 
pump thumb up on Facebook or Instagram or something. But you know, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You get something in the mail that says RSVP. Well, you're going to at least, even if you can't go, you're going to say, oh, so sorry, you know, apologies, I can't be there because of blah, blah, blah. But you're going to respond because you have to respond. It'd be rude not to. And I think Mark leaves this open-ended. Take the ball over to you and say, RSVP, so what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? There's no middle ground here. Jesus said, let me make this very clear, you are either for me or against me. There is no coasty middle ground there. Oh, well, you know, it's all good. If you just want to be somewhere in the middle, the mushy middle, that's all good. Nope. You're either for me or you're against me. Which one are you? It's that simple. You either believe this and you embrace it with your entire life or you don't. It's just that simple. You either believe that Jesus was who he said he is, you trust him, you follow him, you put your whole, you throw all your sin, everything, and the Lord knows every single time that you have, even this week, some of the rubbish things you've said, he's seen it all, and he knows your intention and in all of that. You can be forgiven of that. You can be saved, not just by hearing me talk about it, but by turning in your heart, trusting Christ alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we could go on and on about your resurrection. And we pray, Lord, that people here, sitting here on Easter in a good way, would feel uncomfortable now. Lord, that they wouldn't be able to brush this off. We pray that your spirit would draw them to yourself. Grant faith, we pray. And Lord, how assuring this is that Jesus has been raised. Lord, that we don't just follow a set of rules. We don't just follow some ideas or some religious tradition, we follow a resurrected, reigning Savior who has saved us. Thank you, Lord, for those promises that we bank on even right now in this very second as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We trust these truths of Scripture to be your words, your promises. We confess with our mouth your Lord, and believe in our heart. You raise the Lord Jesus from the dead. We will be saved. Thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.